You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries has been a proud supporter of the Sportsman's Nation since day one. They offer just about every battery under the sun, from car and truck batteries to batteries for your trail cameras and rangefinders. Select retail locations even offer cell phone repair and cracked screen repair. Find a local retail location at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoor Podcast, where you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight, because here we go. Welcome to the show today, everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast, and I am your host, John Hudsmith. I want to welcome everybody to the show today. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. I'm glad you're here, and uh, sit back and listen, because we got a great one today. If you've been listening to the podcast, you'll remember a few weeks ago I did a, an episode just on weapons, and one that I had to skip over was crossbows, and I had to skip over it because I have zero experience. I didn't want to pretend like I had experience or could give advice. And so I basically completely skipped over it. And in that time, I've done a little research and recently reached out to 10 Point Crossbows and Brian Zabinski got back to me. He's their marketing coordinator over there. And I really appreciated it. He called me all the way from Ohio and Man, we had a fantastic conversation. He talks about the company. He talks about how it's a family-owned business. He talks about how it's American-made. All all the products are made right here in the United States. We talk about hunting with crossbows. We talk about what you should be looking for when you buy a crossbow. He goes through you know why a crossbow might cost $3,000 as opposed to $300 and just on and on and on. Like I said, it's a nice long talk here. Brian did a great job, and I really appreciate him coming on the show because, as I mentioned before, I know nothing about these things. But, you know, more and more states are making crossbows legal for everyone before, you know, you had to have a doctor's note or, you know, there was age requirements, something like that. But, um, you know, Oklahoma and many states across the nation are opening uh, archery seasons up to crossbows. And, and, you know, I think they're a great tool. I think. I think they're for anyone really, but you know, they're especially good for new hunters, young hunters, older hunters. Um, but as I'm finding out, you know, as I've been doing this podcast, I've had a lot of guests on that use crossbows and just everyday guys. And, you know, it gives a lot of people more of an opportunity to get out there in the woods and do this thing that we all love. They get to get out there and hunt. And, uh, so yeah, so that's why I reached out to 10 point crossbows and Brian and again, I'm going to keep this intro short because, we, like I said, we had a nice long conversation and I don't want to take up any more time than I have to. So so with that being said, I hope you guys are ready for this one. It's a great one, so I hope you listen all the way through. And here is my conversation with Brian Zabitsky of Ten Point Crossbows. Hey everybody, welcome to the show today. Today I'm talking to Brian Zabitsky. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing great. How are you, John? I'm doing just fine, and you're coming all the way from Ohio, correct? 
Yes, sir. I'm just outside of uh, Canton, Ohio, actually. Nice, nice. And and just because of the distance, i got to ask a, a cliché question. What's the weather like up there right now? Well, it's funny you ask. We actually uh, are having a very unseasonable uh, summer day. Uh, today it only got to 65. Oh. But uh, – but right now, it's it's generally been getting up into the 80s, and mm-hmm. we're finally having some, some good sunshine. We've mm-hmm. had some showers come through. been really good for my garden, I'll say that. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, we were the same type of thing, but uh, unfortunately, our unseasonably cool weather is, I think it was 85 today. And uh, tomorrow, I think we're going to be back up to 95, so... My goodness. Yep. <laughs> yep. It makes that uh, all that summer scouting and summer prep work a little more challenging. Boy, I bet. Especially mm-hmm. with the humidity out there, right? Oh yeah. Like I said, it just got done raining, so it's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. Well, Brian, uh, I'm excited to have you on today. You're here to talk about a topic that I've been wanting to cover for a while, and something that I have basically no experience with, and so that's why I'm excited you're here. Uh, you work for Ten Point Crossbows, correct? Yes, sir. Nice. So why don't you just start us off by telling us a little bit about your company and what you do for them? Sure thing. Well, I again, I want to thank you for inviting me to be on the podcast. Uh, I think we were talking earlier, and as I told you, any day that I get to talk about crossbows and educate people a little bit more about this type of weapon is a, is a good day. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I work for 10 point crossbow technologies and we've been in business about 27 years. We build, uh, crossbows exclusively, you know, many archery companies out there, uh, might build vertical bows and crossbows, but we're just a strictly crossbow company. Um, we've been doing it, like I say, for 27 years, we have the 10 point crossbow technologies, 10 point brand. And then we also have uh, a second brand that we make <clears throat> called Wicked Ridge Crossbows. Gotcha. Um, we're still a, a family-owned company that's a, a fairly small business. Um, I know that uh, a lot of people might recognize the 10-point brand name as being, you know, a, a world-class brand. Uh, we make some of the best crossbows that money can buy out there. Uh and in my opinion, nobody else does it better than us in the world. So, um, but our company, uh, like I say, is owned by the Bednar family still. Uh, so we're small business, uh, even though we have a big brand. Um, if you came out to the factory, which is just outside of Akron, Ohio, it's located in Mogador, Ohio. Uh, you'd feel right at home, uh, with, with folks that are just like you and me and, and our neighbors. Um, the, uh, the Bednar family actually has a pretty rich history when it comes to uh, archery, uh, recurve shooting, and competitive uh, recurve shooting. Um, our company was started by our CEO. His name is Rick Bednar. And uh, Rick actually uh, worked with his dad, Bill Bednar, uh, to, to found 10 point, but I got to take you back a little bit earlier than 1994 when we were founded (laughs) to kind of give you a whole sense of, of the archery history and background that, that we have. Bring Um, it on, bring it on. (laughs) So, uh, 
on our campus, um, we actually have uh, an archery store called the Complete Hunters Outlet Archery Center. And that archery store is actually over 50 years old. And it was the first archery store ever in the state of Ohio. And Rick's dad, Bill, is actually the one who founded that store. And Bill uh, was a competitive archer prior to, uh, you know, founding the store and and, and opening it. Um, And he won many national uh, titles and to this day is a member of the uh, Archery Hall of Fame. And Rick grew up working in the archery store, building arrows, fixing crossbows, or I'm sorry, fixing bows. There were no crossbows back then. <laughs> fixing bows, you know, uh, building bowstrings, all that sort of stuff. So he, he really, really grew up with archery in his blood. Um, and uh, Rick's two sisters, uh, Joanna and Cindy, also grew up uh, working in the archery store. And uh, all three kids actually shot competitive archery um, through their through their early years and up through high school. And uh, Rick actually competed on the collegiate level, uh, winning the NCAA uh, archery tournament uh, a few times. Um, Rick, Rick was actually the uh, he was an alternate on the 1976 Olympic recurve shooting team. So. We, uh, we have a lot of, a lot of archery history, you know, in our background. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some folks might recognize the name Bednar and associate it with Horton crossbows. Uh, but Rick and his dad, Bill actually were the ones who worked with Bernard Horton back in the early eighties to, fa- to start Horton crossbows or Horton Archery Products, I think is what it was called. Gotcha. Um, They, you know, for many, many years, uh, Horton was really kind of the household crossbow name. Um, If anyone shot a a crossbow during deer season and you asked them what it was, most of the time they were going to tell you it was a Horton. Um, So Rick and his dad, you know, were central to the, uh, research, development, design of uh, most of those Horton crossbows that came onto the market uh, in the mid to late 80s and early 90s. Now, fast forward to right around 1992 or so, and um, Rick had kind of an issue with the board of directors there at, at Horton uh, Rick wanted to take a lot of the profits from the company and reinvest it back into improvements in machinery, uh, using different uh, uh, different types of uh, designs, and to do more research and development to kind of help to lead on the innovation side of crossbows. And the board unfortunately disagreed, mm-hmm. but perhaps it, in the long run, though, it, it, it ended up being fortunate because. Uh, Rick and Bill both left Horton at that point, and um, Horton kind of, you know, went on its own direction. And two years later, after leaving Horton, Rick and Bill ended up starting Ten Point. And 
We were originally called Hunter's Manufacturing Corporation. We still go by that name, but we do business as Ten Point Crossbow Technologies. Gotcha. Uh, so, um, and I, I'm not going to bore you with a whole lot more history here, but uh, we're, I'm just kind of proud about uh, mm-hmm. the the idea that. So, in 2014. Horton Archery Products actually went out of business. They went bankrupt. Mm. Part of the reason they went bankrupt <clears throat> is because they decided at some point that they were going to have all of the manufacturing of the parts for their crossbows and eventually even the entire crossbows themselves manufactured in China. Mm. And uh, Horton ended up having a problem with a couple of different models um and uh, which then you know created an issue where they needed to get parts to either build new bows or replace parts and there was an issue with the parts coming in through customs here in the United States to get to Horton um and unfortunately their issue with their crossbow and those parts arriving uh didn't happen at the same time and so the company ended up having to go bankrupt mm. okay um, as a result of that, uh, all of the assets for Horton Archery were put up for auction in 2014, and we were able to go in, uh, bid on you know uh, several different aspects uh, of the business that were being auctioned, and we actually won um, the right to be able to use the Horton brand name again. Hmm. So we we basically bought all of the intellectual property, the brand name, all of the old Horton crossbow designs, everything involved with like the intellectual property side. And then in 2015, we actually came out with uh, three different models that were uh, branded as Horton crossbow innovations by 10 point. So if I hope that just kind of gives you a, a sense of, you know how much uh, uh, archery history mm-hmm. I can say is is in the blood of the owners that that own Ten Point, and then also you know kind of how it's neat that that things sometimes come full circle, where you know sometimes you may work for a place and then end up parting ways, but that doesn't mean that you won't end up you know owning that brand again. Mm-hmm. So we're we're keeping the Horton. Uh, Crossbow Innovations brand name. Uh, we've we've opted to just uh, market our crossbows right now with the Ten Point brand and the Wicked Ridge brand. However, um, but that doesn't mean that in the future we won't come out with additional models, you know, under the Horton brand name. Gotcha, gotcha. Awesome. So I, I've worked with uh, I've worked with Ten Point for ten years now. Um, I, I have had a number of different positions there. I actually started in the accounting department. Um, I moved from there into customer service. Uh, I also uh, managed the customer service department. I managed the warranty repair department, and then after all of that experience, um, you know, I was able to move over into marketing. And so uh, that's what I do now full-time for 10 Point is uh, I'm the marketing coordinator. Gotcha. Awesome. And that's what allows you to come and talk to us today. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it, it, all that experience, um, you know, with working with customers, working with uh, uh, warranty repairs, 
you know, has given me a lot of experience with respect to being able to talk about crossbows, uh, the technical aspect of them and that sort of thing. Awesome. And that's what I'm looking for. And, uh, you know, I, I mentioned before we start, started recording that, you know, I've never even shot a crossbow. And so it's going to be very easy for me to play the role of asking you questions to learn about this stuff because I'm genuinely asking them, you know, because I, I want to learn about it. And, uh, you know, I, I know I have guests out there who use them or are thinking about using them. And so I, I think you're a great person to, to educate everybody. Yeah, I'm happy to be to be able to talk with you today. Good, good. All right, well let's uh let's get into some of the more nitty-gritty here. So uh before we jump too far in, why don't you just give us a quick little rundown of uh you know, if somebody's used to shooting a vertical bow and they're thinking about switching to a crossbow, uh what are some of the big differences between the two? So obviously the the biggest difference right off the bat is um that a crossbow has a bow assembly or a bow, but it's just, it's mounted to the front of a stock. And instead of, um, instead of the arrow, you know, uh, being seated on a rest and then taking flight from that rest, the arrow actually is seated on, uh, we call it the flight rail, which is sort of the barrel portion, I guess you could call it. Uh, that's connected with the stock. Um, the arrow sits on the flight rail. Uh, the string is also cocked back on a crossbow. And when it's cocked into the trigger mechanism, it's generally fixed. You don't have to hold it in the same way that you would hold a vertical bow when you go full draw with a vertical bow. Um, you know, so that's a big difference is uh, you're not actually holding all of the weight of the string. Um, in order to take the shot. And then also um, the way that you shoot it is actually more akin to uh, shooting a rifle or a shotgun. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, you're holding it up to your shoulder. A lot of times you have a sight, you're pulling a trigger. So it's it really is kind of a mix between a bow and a, and a rifle. It's, it's uh, insofar as it has the stock, Yes, mm -hmm. and you shoulder it uh, and pull the trigger in the same in the same kind of motion. Mm -hmm. um, and as you mentioned, uh, most crossbows these days come with uh, some sort of scoped optic, mm -hmm. uh, you know, on it. Um, there's been a lot of uh, technological advancement with respect to drop compensating scopes, mm -hmm. where you have multi uh, multi lines or you know multi reticles inside of the the scope that uh, stand for, you know, different yardage, different set yardages. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's funny, uh, there's, there's a lot of similarities actually between crossbows and, and uh, uh, vertical bows. Um, the, you know, crossbows shoot arrows mm -hmm. um, or crossbow bolts. We use the terms interchangeably there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, crossbows shoot arrows, um, you know, the, the scope on a crossbow is, is actually not all that dissimilar to uh, your multi-pin sights that they now have for your drop compensating pin sights that they have for, for compound bows. Um, also, you know, there's you're going to look through a very small peep. Mm -hmm. 
as you're as you're you're taking your 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 site in with those multi multi dots on your um, on your site. So that's very similar, actually, to sh- uh, looking through a scope to take a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same way as you know, with a compound bow uh, and a and a recurve bow, you need to practice in order mm-hmm. to pe- become you know a good shot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same situation with a crossbow. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that I hear a lot of people out there who talk about crossbows and they just talk about how easy it is to to use them and how anybody can just pick one up and and shoot bullseyes with it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, certainly there's a, a different skill set that you're going to employ when you're when you're shooting a crossbow than when you're shooting a vertical bow, but it's definitely a myth that mm. you, you, you don't need to practice with a crossbow still. Yeah. Um, and the, the arrows uh, that you shoot out of a crossbow, um, you know, they, they exhibit all the same characteristics that arrows, longer arrows shot out of a compound or a recurve bow exhibit. Um, they're subject to the same laws of physics, and basically they operate the same way. Um, it's just that crossbow arrows are oftentimes, you know, right around 20 to 22 inches in maximum length, mm-hmm. where, you know, with, with compound or, or recurve arrows, you can go up to 30, 32 inches sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad you brought up the, the practice thing. That was one of the questions I had because I remember reading an article probably – 10 years ago it was in like field and stream or something. And it was when a, a lot of States kind of started loosening the restrictions on crossbows. And, and basically so many people were buying them and it was a lot of rifle hunters, you know, buying them so that they could hunt in the archery season. And it felt so much that like a rifle, um, that, that people were going out there kind of expecting to just shoot it like a rifle and they were wounding a lot of game or missing a lot of game. And so I'm glad you brought that up that, you know, if you do choose to buy a crossbow, you do have to practice, you know, you can't just sight that scope in at, you know, 40 yards or whatever and go out there and start pulling the trigger. You really gotta, you gotta practice with your distances just like you would practice with a vertical bow. Absolutely. And, uh, just because you have a drop compensating scope doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it's going to be super easy to figure out if 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 the animal's at 35 yards, then you're going to have to make a determination whether you're going to use the 30-yard mm-hmm. reticle or the 40-yard reticle. Mm-hmm. And then you also are going to need to know what your drop is from 30 to 40 yards so that you know how much you need to, to compensate slightly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to make an accurate shot. Um, shooting a crossbow is, it's not a difficult process. I know a lot of people, uh, sometimes because it's, it's a very new thing, you know, there's a, a string that's shooting forward very quickly, those kinds of things. It can be a little bit, uh, intimidating for someone who's never done it before. Um, but, uh, you know, it is important though like we're talking about with practice, it is important for uh, anyone to be a good shot with any weapon. You know, it requires you to practice over and over because you're really trying to achieve that consistency, mm-hmm. um, consistency in your, your motions, your trigger pull, your sight picture, your breathing, all of those sorts of things. And the more consistent you can make yourself in taking the shot, um, and the more consistent crossbow that you buy, 
the better shot you're going to end up being at the end of the day. And being a better shot is critical because, you know, it's part of the ethical um, pledge, I would say, that, mm-hmm. that hunters take when they decide to go out into the woods w- with, a, with a weapon to harvest an animal. You know, um, crossbow hunters uh, are uh, definitely subject to the same code of ethics, hunting code of ethics, as as all archery shooters and all hunters. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha, awesome. Um, well, that kind of leads me into another question. Um, you know, some people when they think of a crossbow, they either think of some guy in chainmail, you know, way back in the uh, Middle Ages, or maybe they think of The Walking Dead, where you know, shooting crossbows like a you know semi-automatic rifle. Uh, how effective are modern day crossbows for you know hunting? So this is a great question uh, because there's a lot of uh, discussion out there um, on the in social media and on uh, blogs and, and things like that uh, about this. Um, but the modern crossbow, and what I'm kind of referring to with the modern crossbow, is uh, you know crossbow speeds have really increased here in the last seven to ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was if if I had to go back, I think it probably was uh, about five years ago when we introduced our first crossbow that sh- that sh- would shoot 400 feet per second, mm-hmm. and crossing that 400 feet per second threshold was was kind of a big deal mm-hmm. because um, with with vertical equipment. Um, it's something that's uh, quite challenging to do mm-hmm. uh, just because of the way the physics and the mechanics of the whole thing works. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I'm getting at is this. Um, our our baseline crossbow, we have one called the Blackhawk 360 under the Wicked Ridge brand. Um, it only runs $399.99, but that crossbow will shoot a hunting arrow, you know, a hunting weight arrow, mm-hmm right around 350 feet per second. So at this point, the slowest crossbow that we make is mm-hmm. at that 350 feet per second, mm-hmm. and they now go all the way up to 470 feet per second. Mm. And the, the reason I bring up the speed is to talk about the energy. Mm-hmm. Um, the crossbows now are uh, you know, producing some pretty just unbelievable amounts of kinetic energy at the muzzle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if your crossbow is shooting 350 feet per second, depending on your hunting arrow weight, you may be getting somewhere in the neighborhood of 110 foot pounds of kinetic energy in that arrow, just as it leaves the flight rail. Mm-hmm. Now we jump up to 470 feet per second and, and that kinetic energy level goes up to north of 190 foot pounds. Mm-hmm. So, we're talking about tremendous energies, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily translate into from an, from a hunting standpoint that doesn't necessarily translate into taking a shot that's farther away than you ever normally mm-hmm. would have before, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with, with, with archery equipment. Yeah. So at, at this point, you know, we, we will generally tell folks that crossbows are a 50 yards or closer effective weapon. Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, uh, with those speeds and energies I just described to you, at 50 yards, um, if you shoot a deer broadside to you and you don't, you know, hit a shoulder or something like that, um, getting a total pass through is something that we actually expect. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously getting a total pass through means that you have a very high likelihood that you're able to hit, you know, uh, to either do a heart shot uh, completely through and through or get, you know, both lungs so that, you know, there's a higher chance that the animal will expire and that you'll be able to recover and and have a successful harvest. Mm -hmm. Um, But this notion that somehow because crossbows now shoot above 400 feet per second, that it's okay to start trying to shoot deer out at a hundred yards. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, that's a bad notion and yeah. one that we absolutely disagree with gotcha. um, from a hunting standpoint. Now mm-hmm. target shooting is, is a totally different thing. You know mm-hmm. um, I know a lot of folks who uh, the, the, just pick, pick your weapon. They will actually, um, you know, practice out at much farther distances than they actually plan to to shoot for the harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that we encourage folks to do with our bows. You know, um, our crossbows will produce some pretty amazing groups out at 100 yards. Uh, you know, I'm, and I'm talking like three inches or tighter groups mm-hmm. at 100 yards. Um, that's better than you know, some that, rifles. That's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's true. That is true. Um, but but that doesn't mean that, you know, there's so many different fa- um, aspects that go into whether you decide to take a shot or not. Mm-hmm. And once you get out past that 50-yard mark, there's just too much risk. Mm-hmm. You know, y- your chances of, of um, you know, uh, being completely accurate and, everything being perfect the way that it would need to be to hit the animal and then get it passed through and harvest the animal. Um, your chances go way down, you know, for every 10 yards, you go past that 50 yards, your chances are significantly reduced. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, this is where there is the tendency to want to compare crossbows to rifles, Mm -hmm. you know, in this respect too. But as I mentioned to you, the projectile, your arrow or your crossbow bolt, still performs um, the same way and, and, and has to follow the same rules of physics that a compound arrow mm-hmm. uh, or a recurve arrow, you know, uh, is subject to. And so what I'm getting at is after 50 yards, your arrow is going to start dropping significantly mm-hmm. and it's going to drop faster and faster and faster. Um, the other thing is that uh, if there's a crosswind of any kind, um, you know, wind absolutely can push any arrow, um, let alone, you know, a, a fairly heavy, shorter crossbow arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had some experiences, you know, just practicing target shooting out at 100 yards um, in 15 to 20 mile an hour crosswinds, and it's actually pushed my arrow off course by mm-hmm. two feet. Wow. So... So there's, there's, you know, those are some of the, I hope that, you know, some of your listeners will pay attention to these things I've said, mm-hmm. because these are a few of the things that a lot of these people I see 
on blogs and on social media talking about shooting at 100 yards. Um, I'm just not sure they're taking into account, uh, you know, all of those different factors. Yeah. Um, you know, the other factor is uh, if if a if the deer starts to take a step right when you pull the trigger, mm-hmm. um, the, there's even even if that arrow is going 470 feet per second, there's still going to be uh, three tenths to four tenths of a second lag that the deer can actually move out of position. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but from a 50 yards and closer standpoint, crossbows are extremely effective, yeah. you know. Um, and when we talk to our customers, we we do polls with our customers and that sort of thing. And they've told us that oftentimes their average shot distance on a on an animal is, is between 20 and 25 yards. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I'm just hoping that, you know, I can talk with lo- lots of folks more about shooting heavier arrows to increase your kinetic energy rather than relying so much just on a speed rating. Mm-hmm. I mean, speed's important. The faster you shoot the heavier arrow, the more kinetic energy you get. Mm-hmm. But uh, if, if the name of the game is to be able to harvest a deer out at 20 or 25 yards, um, uh, you know, to a certain extent, you want to have the projectile that's going to put the biggest punch on the animal. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you want it to have a lot of energy when it strikes the animal so that you can get the total pass through and it can do so much damage to the inside so that the animal will expire quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's kind of our take on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 10 points take, um, you know, if you ask other people in the industry, you might get some other other uh, answers to, you know, effective distance. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as that goes, we, we always encourage our customers, you know, a harvest shot, you know, you're taking a shot at an animal, keep it at 50 yards and closer. But by all means, practice out at 80, 90, 100 yards. Mm-hmm. It'll make you a way better shot at those yeah. closer distances. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad I'm really glad that you brought up the distance thing because I I definitely wanted to ask that and I thought I'd be giving you a loaded question. So, I'm glad that you just brought it up on your own because I mean, definitely something, you know, in my head, you know, I'm a shorter guy. I have like a 27 and a half inch draw length and so my hunting arrow gotcha. is probably going about 280, you know, 280 feet per second. And so when I'm seeing these 400 plus, I'm like, oh man, like you have to be able to shoot a lot farther, but, but it all makes sense. And, and I definitely, the, the arrow weight, that was another thing I wanted to ask, you know, like right now in the vertical bow world, you know, it's all about, you know, heavy FOC all, you know, up front and heavy arrows and, and packing as much weight on there as you can. And so I was going to ask like, you know, does the does the faster speed make up for a bunch of that, or is it just important to have that uh, heavy arrow with a crossbow as it is with a vertical bow? Um, so, you know, shooting a heavier – I'm partial to shooting a heavier arrow mm-hmm. for a couple of different reasons. Um, first off, you know, like I say, uh, you can actually – if you shoot a heavier arrow – Sometimes that arrow will may not it'll go more slowly, mm-hmm. but it'll actually produce more kinetic energy. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, when I'm when I'm thinking about you know creating a set a hunting setup with an arrow and a broadhead and that sort of stuff, I'm focused all on the kinetic energy aspect. Mm -hmm. So I have a willingness to shoot a heavier arrow that's going to go more slowly because I know it's going to have more of that punch. You know, mm -hmm. when it hits the animal, it's going to have that higher level of of energy there. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, you know, crossbow arrows. Um, the especially with respect to foc um let me try to unpack this a little bit so uh <laughs> sorry FOC, i gave you a lot <laughs> oh no no you're fine but front of center you know the front of center percentage on the arrow has as much to do with the arrow shaft the the, the stiffness of the spine mm -hmm. that sort of stuff as it does the veins that are on the back of the arrow hmm. so in other words um you know, you can actually weight the front of your arrow down too much to the point where the veins may not be big enough to support the 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 wind uh, and to be able to maneuver through the air. Mm -hmm. um, so then that causes instability in the arrow as it's traveling out to the target. Um, we tend to use uh, three inch we use three inch boning X veins. Mm -hmm. uh, they're very stiff. Uh, they're pretty high-profile, high uh, large surface area, um, and those larger veins can support a greater amount of weight all the way out on the end of the arrow. Mm -hmm. So they can support arrows that have a, a bit of a higher front-of-center percentage. Mm -hmm. But what we have found is that you know keeping the front-of-center percentage on the arrow is between 12% and up to about 18% seems to be the sweet spot when it comes to accuracy. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I'm hope I hope I'm answering your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I kind of I kind of took a bit of a roundabout way to, <laughs> no, to get there. But, no, that makes sense. But especially um, with but, uh, especially with crossbow arrows being a little shorter, um, you know, I can see you have to be a little more careful with that. Yes. And, you know, the other thing is that um, crossbows tend to not shoot arrows that have a, a weaker spine well. Mm -hmm. um, with crossbows, it's, it tends to follow where the stronger the spine, the stiffer the spine, um, the better uh, trajectory you're going to get on a consistent basis. Mm. So most of the time when you, when you buy a, like a 450 grain to 460 grain, uh, hunting crossbow arrow, um, when you pull that arrow out of the box and, and go to flex it, uh, it's, it's not going to want to flex very much. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's going to be why it's so stiff is that, um, the, because it has less, uh, it's shorter mm -hmm. and it has less time to recover mm -hmm. after it leaves the flight rail mm -hmm. and, and establish its, its, you know, proper trajectory. Um, that's, that's basically why. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. Awesome. I, I hope, uh, I hope our listeners were able to follow that, but it, it made a lot of sense to me. So I, I hope so. I, I think they got it. So. Awesome. Well, I've been uh, I've been perusing your uh, you guys' website in preparation for that, and uh, I've noticed you guys have two different styles of crossbows, and so I want to give you an opportunity to talk about that. So, what is the difference between a forward draw crossbow and a reverse draw crossbow? Great question. 
Um, so a forward draw crossbow is, is going to be the, I like to call it the traditional style crossbow that most people are used to seeing. And it's the shape that people think of um, when they think of a crossbow. Most people think of a crossbow. Um, so in other words, the bow assembly um, is mounted to the front of the stock and the limbs actually curve backwards um, towards the butt end. Uh, and then when you pull the string back to cock it, the limb tips and the cams are actually going to move closer to the, uh, to the barrel, but they'll also come back closer um, uh, to, the, to the butt end of the stock. Um, now, the reason we call that a forward draw is that when the, uh, when the string is released, the cams and the limb tips and the limbs, they will shoot forward as the string moves forward to launch the arrow. Now, there's a guy named Jim Kempf, and he started a company called Scorpid Crossbows, which is another manufacturer out there, and he invented what's called the reverse draw crossbow. And what he did was he took the bow assembly and basically turned it backwards so that instead of the limbs curving backwards towards the butt end of the stock, the limbs actually curve forwards to the front end of the flight rail. So just imagine if you took a, uh, a regular crossbow, you took the bow assembly, turned it 180 degrees, and then mounted it on the end of the flight rail uh, or the, on the barrel that way, that's why they call that a reverse draw crossbow, okay? So when the string goes forward on that reverse draw crossbow, the cams and the limbs actually move backwards or in reverse. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the big difference between one and the other. But when it comes to actually shooting them, you know, there's and shouldering them, there's, there's quite a bit of difference. Hmm. Um, Bow assemblies on crossbows are much smaller, much more compact than on a, a vertical bow, a recurve, you know, or a, a compound bow. And as a result of that, the center portion of the bow assembly, which, you know, is, is the, the riser portion. Um, so if you're shooting a compound bow, you'd be holding on to the riser. Mm -hmm. um, with a crossbow, that riser is mounted to the end of the barrel. And so we make those risers actually out of, uh, uh, we use 60-65 T6 or 70-75 T6 aluminum, which is aircraft strength grade aluminum to make those. There's a lot of stress put on that riser. Mm -hmm. Well, as a result, that riser can be a little bit heavy. So in other words, it can add, you know, quite, uh, quite a bit of the weight to the overall crossbow is actually in that riser. Mm. So um, when you shoot a forward draw crossbow, that riser is positioned all the way at the end of the flight rail. And so when you shoulder it, you can feel that weight out on your foregrip hand. And being able to master shooting a forward draw crossbow well off the shoulder is part of mass, part of that is mastering how to manage that weight. Uh, that's that's on the front end. So, 
but it, you know, it kind of, when you shoot a forward draw, that weight kind of sits on your front hand and, and that's how people will learn how to study the bow and that sort of thing. Now with a reverse draw crossbow, they actually mount the bow assembly halfway up the flight rail. And what that does is it takes all of that weight that's normally out way out on the front end and it actually brings it about halfway back the flight rail closer to your body. So when you shoulder a reverse draw crossbow, that weight isn't sitting out on your front, uh, on your foregrip hand. Mm -hmm. More of that, that center of gravity, the bow is closer to your body. And so the net effect, it feels like a reverse draw crossbow is, is lighter overall than a forward draw crossbow because you're not fighting that weight out on the front end. Mm -hmm. Um, more of the crossbow is closer to you. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, as for whether, you know, it seems like we've got a lot of customers who really like the forward draw traditional mm -hmm. style. We also have a lot of customers who really like the reverse draw, uh, uh that, uh, kind of new modern style. Now, from a standpoint of speed and efficiency, though, like if you think of the crossbow as a machine, um, it has a bunch of parts that are put together and that move. Um, so with a reverse draw crossbow, because you're mounting the bow assembly halfway up the flight rail, the, the, the string can actually be mounted at a lower poundage on the bow assembly yet um, still accelerate the arrow to speeds that are comparable to cross to forward draw crossbows. <laughs> so I, I don't want to go too fast here. I want to backtrack a little bit. Okay. So, so with a crossbow, uh, so with your compound bow, mm -hmm. um, you had mentioned that your draw uh, is about 27 and a half inches. Is that Correct. right? Yep. Correct. So we have the same kind of measurement on a crossbow, but we call it power stroke. Hmm. So in other words, when you pull a crossbow string back and it's cocked by the latch in the trigger mechanism, when you pull the trigger and the string shoots forward, that string is actually going to travel forward a certain amount of distance. Mm -hmm. That's basically the same thing as your draw length. Gotcha. Only we call it we call it power stroke. Mm -hmm. So in other words, that's the distance that the string pushes the arrow to accelerate it uh, into in flight. Um, forward draw crossbows, traditional style, it's much harder to to make the the power stroke longer on those mm -hmm. because in order to do that, you basically have to make the flight rail longer, right. and you sometimes have to make the the limbs a little shorter. Mm -hmm. um, and so in order to do that, you're going to end up making the crossbow heavier mm. because you're going to use more material. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you'll make the crossbow heavier. You'll make it bigger. It'll be less compact, less easy to, to carry around in the woods. Mm -hmm. um, with a reverse draw crossbow, uh, because the limbs in the cam basically are mounted all the way out at the end of the flight rail, we can actually maximize that distance that the string moves forward on the flight rail so we can increase the power stroke length. Gotcha. Um, 
so a long power stroke for a forward draw bow would be somewhere in the 14 inch range, let's mm-hmm. say. Um, but crossbows that are reverse draw style, they actually have power strokes that can move out to in excess of, of 17 inches. Hmm. So, you know, uh, you don't have to be a PhD in physics to understand <laughs> that if you p- apply force for three more inches, mm-hmm. then you're actually going to accelerate the arrow a little bit faster. Right. So, so reverse draw crossbows tend to be a little bit easier to cock um, with respect to the draw weight. The draw weights are going to be lower, and you're going to get a faster speed out of your arrow with less energy left in the bow. So in other words, for uh, reverse draw crossbows tend to be tend to shoot more quietly um, than a forward draw crossbow. Hmm. Now, um, we make both kinds. Um, we have an arrangement with uh, Jim Kemp from Scorpid, as I mentioned, uh, he, he invented it. Mm-hmm. We have a licensing agreement with him that we obtained when we purchased the, the Horton assets back in 2014. Um, that licensing agreement passed on to us, and um, we took Jim's designs ideas and essentially we 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 kind of uh i don't want to say we perfected them Mm -hmm. because jim makes really really good uh crossbows Mm -hmm. but we refined we refined a lot of aspects to the reverse draw design to where we've been able to make crossbows that are much more compact much more um, easier to carry out in the woods and that are, are way lighter overall than most other reverse draw crossbows on the market um and just as a as an example of this, we came out this year with two new crossbows under the ten point line. One's called the Havoc RS four forty. The other one is called the Siege RS four ten. They're only twenty six and a half inches from butt to the end of the flight rail. Mm. Like they are ultra compact. Yeah, I was um, able to uh, to handle a havoc at Cabela's a few weeks ago, and it it was it was oh, very nice. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And how how did you? So you got to shoulder it? I did. Yeah. It. Uh, and how did it feel to you? How was the balance on it from front to back? Did it, it feel good. It did. It felt good. Like I, you know, I don't have a lot of crossbow experiences. Basically, I've just handled a couple in the store, but uh, I was very surprised. Yeah, it was very. I loved how compact it was. Um, you know, I'm picturing it coming from kind of a bow hunter's perspective. I'm picturing it being in a tree stand or maybe even trying to shoot it out of a, a box blind or something. And yeah, I mean, just the, the feel of it and the size was just amazing. You know, I, I, I just always pictured crossbows as bulky and that was not the experience I had with that bow. Exactly. You know, most people do anticipate that a crossbow is going to be bulky, you know, especially if, if there's someone who um, hasn't really looked at crossbows lately, mm-hmm. you know, and, and who kind of has experience maybe 15 or 20 years with them mm-hmm. ago with them. You know, it used to be the case that the bow widths, the bow assembly widths were as long as the crossbow was long, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, um, and that if you decided to hunt with a crossbow in the woods, you were going to basically have to, uh, you know, uh, be very careful as you're walking through the woods because mm-hmm. the crossbow bow assembly was so wide, you'd be dragging briars and mm-hmm. branches and all sorts of things with you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But, you know, one of the other modernizations that's happened to crossbows is they're now ultra narrow yeah. when they're cocked. Mm-hmm. Um, our widest crossbow in the 10 point lineup, um, axle to axle when it's cocked is only nine inches. Mm. Um, and that's our widest. Mm-hmm. So we have we have one that that actually um, only has a width of five point eight inches mm-hmm. axle to axle when it's cocked. Yeah. Um, and to imagine to go from that, you know, or to go from like twenty inches <laughs> wide when cocked, yeah, to now being just just under six inches wide cocked, mm-hmm. it it's been a revolution um, yeah. to be a you know a technical revolution. Um, mm-hmm. Now, and one of the other things that, that really, it's really helped to make the crossbow a much more pleasant weapon to, to carry out into the woods, as yeah. I mentioned. If you put one of these crossbows on a sling and you put it over your shoulder, the because they're so narrow, the cam is just barely, you know, the outside cam is just barely going to stick out from your shoulder. Mm-hmm. So essentially the crossbow sort of form fits to you and you're not, you know, as I say, having to be super careful about not getting into briars or dragging, you know, brush and, and branches along with you as you're mm-hmm. walking through the woods, these narrow, super narrow crossbows have eliminated that. Um, and the other, the other aspect is that uh, most crossbows now um, fully accessorized, are going to weigh, you know, somewhere between um, eight and nine pounds max. Hmm. That's a huge difference from crossbows yeah. from 15 to 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, we, we no longer use wood to, to make the stocks. Mm-hmm. So that's been a pretty significant uh, assistance with, with respect to reducing weight. But um, we also uh, utilize advanced design techniques where we're able to do cutouts in places where on the stock where there doesn't need to be material. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the aluminum riser that I was talking to you about earlier, mm-hmm. um, we've been able to skeletonize those so that uh, there are pretty significant cutouts in those, which is what I'm sure you, you were able to see when you looked at that Havoc mm-hmm. RS440. Um, we use that super strong, aircraft strength aluminum um, because it, 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 it's strong enough to withstand the stress over the life of the bow. But we also use that material because it's, it's fairly light mm-hmm. um, as compared to other types, you know, uh, to steel or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and being able to do those cutouts in the riser really has helped to, reduce the overall weight of, of the crossbows themselves. Um, the cams often have cutouts in them. Mm-hmm. Um, our stocks, uh, like I say, we, we've, we've skeletonized them and done more cutouts there to the point where, you know, it, it really is not this, you know, super heavy item that people, you know, don't look forward to dragging a mile mm-hmm. with them out to their deer stand in the mm-hmm. woods, you know, yeah. carrying one of these, these newer crossbows, is is going to be about the same as you know carrying a, a muzzleloader mm-hmm. or a rifle. That's what I was about to bring up. You know, from a weight standpoint. Yeah, if you're talking seven to ten pounds, that's the first thing that popped in my head. I was like, well, that's about most rifles nowadays. Yeah, um, and we've we've done a lot of work to 
to really remove that front heavy feel mm -hmm. that I was talking about that some forward draw crossbows have mm -hmm. and to, to really balance properly the, the bow assembly and the stock on the front with the, uh, the trigger mechanism and the, the cocking unit um, that's going to be mounted in the stock in the back to the point where it, it's become a much more pleasant experience to, to shoot a crossbow offhand. Mm -hmm. It's not you won't be exhausted after taking five shots. Gotcha. Is, I guess what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, and that was so. another question I had, or something I was thinking about. You know, like hunting out of a tree stand where you're gonna have to shoot free-handed. Um, and you know, just I was curious if that was even a thing, uh, just because of the weight. But yeah, I mean, like I said, especially if you're talking, you know, fifty yards and in, um, that's really not a, a pressing task. Right. Most people that shoot out of a tree stand are probably, well, it depends on the type of stand. You know, mm -hmm. if there's, they have a ladder stand, then they'll likely have a, a shooting rail. Mm -hmm. um, some folks who, who might use a hang-on stand, you know, something like that, or a, a saddle, mm -hmm. um, you know, they're not going to have that same uh, uh, rest capability. Right. Um, but we actually make a monopod um, that... You, that that fits on the crossbow mm -hmm. that supports the front end of the crossbow, but then it, it has a a rubber uh, sort of a rubberized end that pivots mm -hmm. to where um, you could be in a standing position, you could be in a seated position, but you can actually rest the end of the monopod into your hip, <laughs> so that that basically you could be up in a tree and still use that monopod as a rest. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, we call we call that the steady eddy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, awesome, nice. Uh, well, I hate I don't want to take up too much of your time, um, but I want I do want to talk about what I was prepared prepared to call crossbow bolts, but you've been referring to them as arrows. Um, I guess like why do y'all call them arrows now? And uh, and then also want to talk about broadheads as far as hunting. You know. Uh, the good old mechanical versus fixed. Um, do you shoot heavier broadheads uh, with your arrows? Um, just give us a quick rundown of just arrows and broadheads. Sure. So um, this this terminology of crossbow bolt uh, actually comes from the medieval times that you were talking about of mm -hmm. guys in chainmail, you know, uh, sporting their crossbows in medieval type war. Um, they built crossbows back then that would shoot these uh, eight inch to like 12 inch iron spikes. And so that's kind of, and, and they were, you know, they were kind of the uh, pre-modern armor piercing projectile, mm -hmm. you could say, um, you know, they could definitely, definitely take care of uh, some chain mail. Mm -hmm. If, if you're able to get one of those 12 inch spikes out you know, moving pretty fast. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but what we have found is that in, in modern times, um, uh, a lot of the opponents of crossbows have tried to use that bolt terminology mm -hmm. um, when, when they're trying to convince state legislators that they should not allow crossbows to be legalized in that state mm. because they're trying to create this false distinction between an arrow, which mm -hmm. is what compound and vertical bows shoot mm -hmm. versus a crossbow, which somehow shoots these bolts. Um, so 
I guess what I'm trying to get at there is there's been some confusion or some kind of obfuscation, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of blurring of what this crossbow bolt term means. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of our customers call them crossbow bolts. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, we, you know, we consider any, we consider if it's less than like 12 inches long, then we, we would never call it an arrow. You would always call it a bolt, Mm -hmm. but um, anything 12 inches or longer, we, we consider to be an arrow and we just, we use the terms interchangeably. Gotcha. Um, Half of our customers will call them bolts. Half mm -hmm. of our customers will call them arrows. So I thought I was going to sound smart calling them bolts and like I knew what I was talking about. And uh, there you go. It just shows you how much I know. So, all righty. And then, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to uh, – and you had mentioned about broadheads. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, I actually – I'm going to do a little plug for myself right at the moment. All right. Um, I actually just – I just wrote an article for uh, Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine mm-hmm. um, on their website. Um, I have a blog there called Crossbow Corner, and the article that was just published today – um, is basically about finding the best broadhead for your crossbow. Gotcha. And in that in that article, I, I I basically go through the three different styles of broadheads. You know, the fixed blade broadhead, the rear deploy broadhead, and then the front deploy broadhead. Mm-hmm. Um, front deploy and rear deploy both being mechanical styles. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of define them, and then basically go through and give the the positives and the negatives of each. Hmm. And um, so for many years, we recommended for folks actually to shoot a front deploy mechanical broadhead. Mm -hmm. So in other words, um, the front tips of the blades are what make contact with the animal and then they swing open. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was fine until our crossbows began to shoot above 350 feet per second. Hmm. When you shoot faster than 350 feet per second, it begins to be difficult to keep those, those front deploying blades in place hmm. and secure when the, when the arrow takes off and launches, and then also while it's in flight. Hmm. Now, so I guess what I'm saying is this. If you shoot a crossbow that's, that shoots up to 350 feet per second, there's going to be many very good uh, uh, front deploy broadheads out on the market, mm-hmm. um, you know, for someone to shoot out of that crossbow that are going to be very accurate. You know, they're virtually going to be almost like, you know, screw on and go mm-hmm. type types, you know, to get where you're getting the same kind of field point uh, groupings and, and you're getting the same point of impact as you would from a field point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a, a brand um, that we recommended out for, for many, many years um, was the, the Spitfire broadhead. Uh-huh. It works it, it, and it continues. I, I have, I still have crossbows um, that shoot right around 300 to 320 feet per second. Um, I would definitely shoot um, any of the Spitfire versions out of those crossbows and feel very confident about, you know, where I'm going to hit and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Now, then you go to, um, I'm going to jump over to a fixed blade broadhead. Okay. So um, 
there's many popular fixed blade broad, broadheads out there. Um, you know, one's going to be the Montec uh, from G5. Um, another one that I've shot in the past, which is performs extremely well, is very durable, is the the Wasp mm-hmm. drone. Um, I mean, there there are plenty out there. Uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of folks know. Uh, you know, have their preferred fixed broadhead. Right. Right. Um, but one big difference between fixed broadheads and mechanical broadheads is that um, because the fixed blade broadheads, because the blades are fixed and they don't, uh, you know, they don't close up and 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 become uh, smaller shape and and they're not as aerodynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, those blades will have a greater amount of surface area that's passing through the wind. Mm-hmm. And they also then though have a tendency to plane. Yeah. And, and if you understand what I mean when I say plane, right. you know, They'll you'll catch actually air see and... in the air, mm-hmm. you'll see it sort of start to corkscrew a little bit mm-hmm. in the air mm-hmm. um, or, or go up one direction or, or another. Yeah. Um, so, because it's higher profile and there's more more drag basically on the broadhead, it becomes much more important with a fixed broadhead, at least when you're shooting a crossbow, that you get that fixed broadhead tuned to that arrow. Gotcha. And because there's you go, crossbows have a flight rail, um, you're not able to really shoot them through paper to mm-hmm. paper tune them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things you can do is Generally speaking, it always works well to line up the blades of the broadhead. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the way, I only recommend shooting a three-blade broadhead out of a crossbow. Gotcha. Because that on the four-blade fixed uh, broadheads, that extra blade is only going to hurt you more because it's adding more surface area mm. that that can can then cause that potential planing. Yeah. Um, now. But on a three blade, you're going to want to try to line up the blades so that they match the position of the veins hmm. in the back of the arrow. Gotcha. Oftentimes, if you do that, then it'll remove the issues that some folks have with the planing. Hmm. Um, and unless you're building your own arrows and you know setting your own inserts so that you can perfectly line up um, the the broadhead hmm. veins broadhead blades with the veins, um, then, then you're probably going to need another alternative, which is, um, you know, I've used rubber O-rings in the past that I can slip that, you know, fit nice and tightly Mm -hmm. around the ferrule of the broadhead. And then I can screw it down in the insert and, you know, it'll actually tighten up to where I can screw it down. Um, the broadhead will screw in, it'll stay in place but then I can actually shift the blades so that they line up with the veins. Gotcha. So, okay. so uh, three three blade fixed broadheads can be very effective out of a crossbow, mm-hmm. but it's going to take uh, it's going to take a little bit of extra work mm-hmm. to do the tuning uh, procedures that you need to do um, to make sure you know that that you're not going to get any planing issues with those. Gotcha. Um, and in fact. Uh, to be honest with you, like, you know, that Montec 
uh, broadhead from G5, mm-hmm. um, it, it, we, we, we test shot a bunch of broadheads a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. um, about, about 20 broadheads. Mm-hmm. And when, and we, we fired both mechanicals and fixed mm-hmm. and the Montec G5 performed so well that we actually, uh, licensed with with g5 this year mm-hmm. to build the montec for us gotcha gotcha um, so that's we branded it as the evo x uh montec broadhead so folks may see that out in the stores is that um, the one that, that doesn't have the slits oh no it does have the slits. it does have slits okay Gotcha. Yes, it does have slits. Those slits help to reduce that surface area. Right, right. And, and so they help to reduce that, that planing aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, but so w- w- this year, finally, we were able to expand, uh, you know, our, our broadhead lineup to include that fixed gotcha. option because there are many hunters who like to, who prefer to shoot fixed. Yeah. Who, you know, there's just too much concern about what can happen, you mm-hmm. know, if, if one of the blades opens or, um, you know, they damage one of the blades and transport or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now the third style of broadhead is, is the rear deploying style. And instead of the front tips of the blades making contact with the animal and flipping them open to activate the broadhead, it's actually the back end of the blades mm-hmm. on a, on a, on a rear deploying style that makes contact with the animal. And when they, when they hit, it actually causes the blades to sort of scissor open. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I know that uh, rage makes a very popular two blade rear deploying style broadhead. Mm-hmm. Um, we, however, uh, came out with our own version of a, of a two blade rear deploy broadhead. Um, it's called the Evo X center punch broadhead. And in that testing that we did, you know, uh, of the 20 different broadheads a few years ago, the one broadhead that performed the best out of all the ones that we tested, um, was one that was this two blade rear deploy style. And so when we when we went to make our first broadhead and to, to develop our first broadhead design, um, we worked with uh, the company that makes that broadhead, and so now they produce it for us. Gotcha. Um, and the reason for the the advantage. So if I had to choose out of all three styles, which one um, is probably you know going to be the most accurate, the most like a field point and the least likely to ever open or have any issue in midair, it's that uh, two-blade rear deploy style. Gotcha. And here's why. Um, on a, th- uh, a three-blade uh, front deploy, there's either going to be a rubber band holding the, ba- the blades in place mm-hmm. to keep them in place while it's in flight. There could be a collar you know, that holds mm-hmm. those blades in place with a spring inside. Um, but typically with, with any three-blade mechanical uh, front deploy, there's going to be some kind of mechanism that's actually holding the blades in place. Well, that's an extra part that can fail. Mm. Um, on a two-blade rear deploy design, 
the blades are actually not held in place by, uh, or at least on our Evo X center punch. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no collar, no rubber band, nothing like that that needs to hold the blades in place. Because when you take a shot, as that arrow goes from being totally stationary to then being launched and accelerated, you know, to 400 feet per second in, you know, less than a second, mm-hmm. um, Imagine if you're sitting in your vehicle and you're at a stop stoplight and all of a sudden it turns green and you lay, you know, down Mm -hmm. on the accelerator. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, as you jump, accelerate forward, what's it going to do? It's going to push you back in your seat. Right. The same thing happens on a two blade rear deploy style broadhead, but what's being pushed back in its seat are the blades. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the faster and harder a crossbow shoots, the, you know, the more certain it is that those blades are going to be always in that same exact position Mm -hmm. every time it launches from the flight rail. Right. Well, you, what you, what you absolutely want in order to achieve the best groups and the best accuracy you need consistency from one shot to the next to the next. Mm-hmm. And so that's why that, that two blade rear deploy style, um, it's going to give you the same consistent launch every time off of the crossbow. And because it's only got the two blades instead of three blades, like on a front deploy, uh, mechanical three blade mechanical, it actually has less, it creates less, less, uh, wind resistance. Mm-hmm. There's less surface area that, that the wind passes over on the blades and you're going to get better accuracy. Gotcha. So I, I probably spoiled it for everyone who would have gone to read my article. But that's, <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that's kind of, that's kind of my article in a nutshell. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Well, we got a week or so before this comes out. So people still have time. To find okay. It, so. Awesome. <laughs> there you go. Uh, now, are you okay on time? I mean, I still have a few more questions, but we're about an hour and 10 minutes right now. Are you okay on time? Yeah, I'm okay. Okay, awesome. Well, I'm going to keep going then, if that's all right with you. Sure thing. All right. Um, I'm having fun. Good, good. So we've covered some bows. We've covered some arrows now. Um, What kind of maintenance do crossbows require? So just like anything else, uh, there's going to be regular maintenance that you're going to want to do on it. Um, Just like, you know, you're going to change the tires on your car, or truck from time to time, you're going to add some oil, you know, or have the oil changed from time to time. Um, there's a few things that folks are going to want to do with their crossbows on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. One of those things is, um, so when you take a shot with a crossbow, after you take the shot, even if you have a string dampener attached, you know, that, that's basically going to stop the string from oscillating after the shot, there's still going to be a vibration wave that passes through the bows. Mm-hmm. Through, through the whole entire crossbow itself. So, you know, checking bolts for tightness, um, checking screws, making sure that your scope rings are staying tight, all of those things are, are pretty essential, you know, and are, are going to be part of like a regular maintenance program. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is that you're going to want to always keep your string and cables in, in good condition. Mm-hmm. You never want them to dry out um, you never want them to, uh, to, to get too old to where they're going to stretch excessively. Mm. 
So one of the things that, you know, if someone purchases a crossbow, the first thing they should do before they put the bow, attach the bow assembly to the, to the stock is they should use, you know, apply some string wax Mm -hmm. to the exposed strands on the cables and the strings, uh, the string itself. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I do is, you know, I, I, uh, I will actually, uh, take a lighter and I'll, I use just regular beeswax myself. Mm-hmm. Um, $3.50 a cake, uh, you know, of beeswax from the hardware store, and uh, I'm pretty good to go. <laughs> um, but I, I'm going to melt it a little bit with a lighter and get it to where it's 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 real soft um, or even, you know, uh, turns into a liquid. Mm-hmm. Then I grab that with my thumb and my forefinger, and then I'm going to rub that into those strands. And... Some people will actually, you know, find an old piece of leather, like Mm -hmm. maybe from an old belt, and they'll cut like a square of that leather. And then after you rub that wax on those strands, then take that square of leather and rub it back and forth and Mm -hmm. create heat. You want want a lot of heat. You want, you know, a lot of friction there Mm -hmm. because what that does is it, it heats the wax and then allows the wax to uh to to seep in into the string itself Hmm. so you're going to always want to wax the the exposed strands of the string and the cables now a crossbow string has a has a serving Mm -hmm. center serving and the serving is the area that's that's wrapped laterally around the twisted strands of the string the serving is the part that actually makes contact with the flight rail and 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 connects with your knock mm-hmm. and that then launches the crossbow. Um, it's not a good idea to use the string wax on the center serving. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that when you go through the process of cocking the crossbow, um, there's typically going to be a string latch that either comes down or comes uh, from from below or from above that holds the center serving in place. Mm -hmm. Whenever you go through that cocking process and the string latch grabs the string, some of that wax, if you've used, you know, beeswax or any of the other uh, artificial waxes out there, some of that wax Mm -hmm. will, will come off and can actually go inside of the trigger mechanism. Mm -hmm. And, and then if you go out in the extreme cold, then it can actually foul the trigger Mm -hmm. mechanism. Gotcha. Because that'll build up over a cor- over a period of time, mm-hmm. but um, we make um, a product that's that's called ten, the ten point uh, uh, flight rail and trigger lubricant. Um, that's one thing that you can actually use on the center serving. Um, it's an that's an oil based lubricant. Um, we also have what's called the ten point premium uh, foam uh, premium lubricant with foam applicator. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with scorpion venom. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you ever used that in the past? Yeah. So, so that 10-point uh, premium lubricant with foam applicator is basically that scorpion venom um, uh, formula. Gotcha. And what we have found is that instead of using it just exclusively as like a, a lubricant for the flight rail, we've actually found it makes an excellent conditioner for that center serving Mm-hmm. And then also for the yolks on the cables, gotcha. Because those y- yolks are also served. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- 
we, on at least on our crossbows, we encourage our customers, like I say, to use the wax on the exposed strands, but then use that um, premium lubricant with foam applicator. Um, that that premium lubricant use that on all of the uh, the served areas, so the yokes of the cables and the center serving. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, and you know it depends on the crossbow, uh, but you know on on our our most recent uh, models of, of crossbows, the ones that have our our AccuSlide cocking device on them, um, we recommend applying that probably somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, every time you take the crossbow out to use it, mm-hmm. you're going to apply some of that uh, to the center serving and then the the cable yokes. Mm-hmm. Now, every 10 shots, though, you're going to want to apply that premium lubricant to the actual flight rail itself. Gotcha. Um, you never want the flight rail to be dry. Hmm. And when if the flight rail's dry and you load the arrow into it, when, it, when the string pushes the arrow forward, that's going to significantly increase the friction between the, the arrow shaft and the flight rail. Hmm. That's going to create more heat. That's also going to help uh, to break down the arrow shaft hmm. over a period of time. Hmm. Um, and in fact, if you're using like a, a carbon uh, arrow shaft on an aluminum flight rail, um, you know, if you don't use lubricant on that, then you're not going to get as many shots out of that arrow before you start to see the sidewalls of the shaft being worn away hmm. from the flight rail as it's passing over it. So that's that's really why you want to apply that fl- that lubricant every 10 shots, you gotcha. know, and generally generally what I tell folks is uh, run your finger down the flight rail and if it feels slippery if it feels like there's material on there then you're fine but it, as you're running it your finger down the, the rail if you feel any spots where it's dry or where, where your finger sticks then you definitely want to apply some more some more lubricant at that point yeah. um, and you know one of the last things you'll do is uh, change the string and cables out on the crossbow um, every two years hmm. and we recommend doing it um, every two years, not because we expect the string and the cables to be degrading and, you know, chewed up and, you know, uh, you know, to have a, a loose serving or to have strands breaking. It's not because we expect the string and the cables to be failing. Mm-hmm. It's because of the amount of stretching mm-hmm. that occurs over time on those string and cables. Gotcha. Just like just like with a compound bow, if you don't change out the string and cables regularly, um, and you allow the limbs to actually, uh, as the string and cables stretch, they they change the position that the limbs hold mm-hmm. when you're not shooting shooting it. Well, if you allow that position to change too much, it can actually cause a problem with the limb, mm-hmm. and eventually it can cause that limb to fail and to crack because it's changing the flex point of the limb. Mm -hmm. So, so every two years, like I say, we recommend doing string cables. That's going to keep the string cables in, you know, uh, uh, fairly new. And it's also going to keep those limbs in the proper position and allow them to deflect in the specific spots on the limb where the limb was designed to deflect. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
very good. So that's know. that's kind of you know, and the cost, uh, you know, to have the string and cables changed along with uh, the, the materials and the labor, you're probably looking at about 150 bucks at your local mm-hmm. archery dealer, and that's every two years. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's not so bad. Yeah, yeah, I definitely uh, I would not have known anything about uh, greasing the rail. That's a uh... I say greasing, but oil in the rail. Uh, yeah, I definitely would not have known about that, but it makes a lot of sense. So. Awesome. Good deal. Uh, um, let's see here. Where are we at? Um, I'm going to kind of roll these next two questions in together because um, I want to give you a chance to talk about your products, obviously. Um, you know, when I was looking at all those crossbows, you know, I was looking at 10 Point and all the other brands, and all of them had a big, giant sticker, and it was their – uh, you know, feet per second in, you know, it ranged from 300 to 470, like you said. Um, so how important is speed, uh, in choosing your crossbow? And then kind of after that, uh, if you want to go ahead and just talk about some of your different models and price points and all that good stuff and, and sell some crossbows. Outstanding. Well, I think I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, um, when we were talking about, uh, kinetic energy mm-hmm. and you know that speed is important to uh, be able to establish a higher level of kinetic energy mm-hmm. but at the same time um, speed should never be like you know the single number one factor that someone uses to buy one crossbow over another mm-hmm. um, there are all kinds of different uh, different aspects that go into whether a crossbow is a good crossbow or, or not a good crossbow. And sometimes um, if the crossbow is not well made, when you buy, if you buy it one that, that shoots faster, if it's not made well enough, it can actually sort of begin to blow itself apart. Hmm. Um, because of that repeated amount of, of stress and load that's on the riser, that's on the limbs, on the cams, on the trigger mechanism, um, after a, a, a period of time, if you don't use the right materials, and that's kind of why I was talking earlier about using the 6065 T6 or the 7075 T6 aluminum for the risers, mm-hmm. um, you can actually start to get stress cracks. And that can happen in the riser, that can happen in the limb pockets or the limbs themselves. Um, so just buying based on speed um, alone is probably not the best the best way to do it. Um, a couple of things that, that if someone is in the market for a new crossbow, a couple of things they want to consider, um, look at the materials that are used to build uh, the stock. Um, also look at the materials that are used to build the, the trigger mechanism, the cams, the riser, um, on all of our crossbows, we, we actually use billet aluminum, mm-hmm. which is a large chunk of aluminum that we then have CNC machined down into the shape of the cam. Um, we do this partially because the CNC machining process allows us to have a much higher level of quality control. Um, we can keep the parts within much tighter specs. Um, than if you're using, you know, a part that's like cast, uh, that's cast aluminum that's been made in a mold, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but we also do it because the billet aluminum 
is a uh, the material itself is more uniform and less likely to have any internal flaws mm -hmm. that can then down the road lead to those cracks or lead to you know the teardrop on your on your cam getting ripped out uh, because the string and the cables are mounted at such a high high poundage uh, to in order to get that crossbow to shoot so fast that the cams themselves aren't able to withstand that continued repeated force over and over and over. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things, you know, to look at for someone, I would say is, you know, um, what's the crossbow made of? What are the processes that are used to make the parts in the crossbow? Is it a precision process? Um, and, and what are the quality control standards, you know, that the manufacturer of that crossbow um, puts out there like you know what do they talk about with respect to um, tolerances on different parts um, where are the parts made and this is kind of where we can come full circle back to the Horton archery products example mm -hmm. you know they opted to have their parts made in China and as a result of that um, they got some parts in that were not to spec mm -hmm. they ended up using those parts in some of those crossbow models, which then caused those models to fail later on. Mm. So as they were in the process of trying to get those, uh, uh, you know, trying to replace those failed crossbows, they were just simply buying more parts from the same location that sent them the bad parts to start with. Mm. I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a bad business model. Mm -hmm. if, if you ask, if you ask us, because, yeah. Um, we have always tried, uh, we work with local manufacturers. Um, we actually have a CNC machine lab um, in-house. We have two large size CNC machines that we can do a lot, build a lot of our own cams with. But, you know, as far as trigger boxes and other parts like that, we use local machine shops. Um, that are generally fairly close to us here in Ohio mm -hmm. to build those parts for us. Um, our stocks are uh, made by uh, Poly One, and we use a an extremely light, extremely strong co uh, composite material mm -hmm. to 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 build those stocks. Those are uh, actually molded for us in. I believe they're in Illinois, and then the stocks come to us, and then we send them out to a local hydro dipper who then applies the, you know, particular camouflage coating to that stock. Um, why I think um, it's just like anything else um, in the hunting industry, you're going to get what you pay for mm -hmm. to a certain extent, and also, you know, if you're buying items that are made outside of the country, then, you know, you just never know what, what you're going to get. Right. It's possible that you, you could get the batch that, that was not run properly. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, another thing that I would recommend people do is, you know, find out where's the company based that makes your crossbow. Mm -hmm. um, where do they have the parts made? Um you know, those are those are a couple of big questions, um, you know, and then the other thing that someone would sh should should think about is, OK, well, let's say you get your crossbow, but you have a problem. Um, where are you going to go to get an answer to your problem? Mm -hmm. um, or let's say you have a, an item that breaks on your crossbow. 
who are you going to contact to arrange for a repair of the crossbow? Um, you know, and, and many folks, uh, if, if you're buying from a company that tends to import their products, oftentimes you may not speak to someone who's actually even based in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other aspect of that, too, is uh, um, look at the crossbow's warranty. Um, we offer a limited lifetime warranty against any defects on any part of the crossbow for the life of, of, of the crossbow. Mm-hmm. Now this doesn't, doesn't count. The string and the cables are not part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're considered wear items yeah. uh, and no, no, no crossbow manufacturer and most bow manufacturers don't warrant their string and cables, you know, yeah. but, um, but we offer that limited lifetime warranty against any defects because we're confident in the the quality and the workmanship of the parts that we use to build our bows with. Mm-hmm. Um, other companies who may have a, a limited, uh, you know, or a, just a multi-year warranty, something like that, um, having a lesser warranty should be an indicator to someone that that company isn't even confident in in you know the long-term use of the product right so if they're not going to be willing to like (laughs) warrant it for a long time then um maybe you wouldn't want to invest in that particular product right you know Mm -hmm. um and one of the one of the strengths i think that that we have over uh, other manufacturers in the marketplace is as i mentioned to you we we, we're still a small business Mm -hmm. um owned by the Bednar family. And so our business is based out of Ohio and that's where our customer service department is. Um, we don't contract out service for customer services. Mm -hmm. Um, we hire people from within, um, the person who's the head of our customer service department right now actually worked in the, in the factory, on the factory line, Mm -hmm. um, for 10 years assembling the crossbows. So this is a person who basically can tell you how to – she could take the crossbow apart and then put it back together with her eyes closed. Yeah. You know? yeah. So we're trying to make sure that, that we've got local folks who are hunters, who you know can understand what circumstances and scenarios that hunters can get into, mm-hmm. um, who are also – and we're also shooters mm-hmm. um, because we feel that – We'll, we'll best be able to help hunters if it's folks who hunt themselves who are giving that help and who are also, you know, um, knowledgeable experts on the crossbow models that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all of those things, you know, uh, I know it's funny for me to say that you should, that people should research the customer service and research <laughs> the warranty prior to, but, it's always, those are always like, you know, two of the things that I think get kind of pushed in the back uh-huh. that only become a problem when you end up needing them. Right. It's, it's kind of the thing that like you don't think about when you're making the purchase, but mm-hmm. it's the number one thing you think about when your bow fails right. or if, if, if you have something break on your crossbow, mm-hmm. you know, because one of the other things we try to do is if it's hunting season, um, you know, in some states, 
archery season only lasts three weeks, four weeks max. Mm -hmm. And if someone goes out and in the first week, their crossbow breaks, depending on, you know, who made that crossbow, it could be four to six weeks that you'll get the crossbow back after sending it in for a repair. Yeah. Well, then, then you, you basically have just, you know, destroyed your season Mm -hmm. because you won't have your bow back in time. And so then uh, instead of sitting in your stand, I guess you're sitting in the easy chair, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but we've tried to make it a priority um, for as long as we've been in business that if someone has an issue during their hunting season, you know, and they need to send that crossbow into us for a repair, we're looking at a maximum five-day turnaround time hmm. to get that bow in, get it, get the issue determined, resolved, perform the repair, and then ship that bow back out to you because we know we're hunters that time is of the essence, you know, during hunting season. So, you know, those are, those are a couple of things that that I hope folks, you know, will, will consider, um, you know, when they're looking in the future to, to make their own purchase. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, Real quick, why don't you give everybody kind of one of your, you know, higher end models and then maybe one of your more economic models, uh, just kind of give people an idea of, you know, maybe what they should be looking for if they do decide to buy a 10 point crossbow. Sure. Um, let me give you just quick, quick rundown of the difference between the 10 point brand and the Wicked Ridge crossbows by 10 point brand. Okay. Um, so Wicked Ridge, the price on those, starts they're kind of at the lower end of the price points mm-hmm. um we actually came out with a new one for 2021 in wicked ridge called the blackhawk 360 and it comes as a full crossbow package so in other words you know one one of the big differences between compounds and crossbows is that when you buy a crossbow most of the time you get everything you need in the package mm-hmm. uh, so in other words it's not like you're buying the raw crossbow and then you're buying you know an arrow rest you mm-hmm. know a different style of rest right. you're not buying a different pin sight you're not buying a in addition to that you're not buying uh, you know a release mm-hmm. um, a trigger release all those kinds of things because when you start adding those things up, they really can increase the overall purchase price of your compound bow. Oh um, yeah. Anybody. Uh, <laughs> so I, <laughs> I know, know, a lot I of know guys that battle. Who, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I know a lot of guys who like had really good intentions not to spend more than a thousand or $1,200 mm-hmm. on their whole setup. And they end up buying the bear bow for a thousand. Yep. And then like, after they buy everything else, they're they're in, in it for about two thousand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. The nice thing about crossbows is typically, um, you know, definitely with our crossbows, we sell them all as a package. They'll come with some type of cocking device. Um, we we have a uh, we have standalone rope cockers. You know that are not connected to the bows with with some of our bows. We also have a rope cocker that's mounted in the stock itself. Mm-hmm. Um, which is super helpful because if you've ever tried to reach into your pack and pull out one of those rope cockers and it's, you know, in a giant knot like a bird's nest, mm-hmm. <laughs> then, you know, that's super frustrating. Yeah. Our rope, our rope cocker actually mounts in the back of the stock. 
<laughs> and the hooks and handles um, and the cords retract into that unit mm-hmm. so that basically they store completely uh, uh, it's a it's a very discreet way of storing them mm-hmm. also they don't rattle or or there, there's no possibility for them to to get bound up with each other mm-hmm. um, we call that our accu AccuDraw 50 or AccU52. Um, we do also have a couple of crank-style devices that are uh, mounted in the stocks. And the crank device, so your basic rope cocker is going to reduce your draw weight, you know, the force you need to pull the string back in order to cock it mm-hmm. by 50%. Mm. The, uh, the stock-mounted crank devices that we make that actually reduces the draw weight by 95%. Mm. So in other words, to pull back a a 200-pound draw crossbow, you actually only need to to put in 10 pounds worth of force mm. in order to turn that crank handle. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the other differences, you know, with a cr- cr- crossbow and a compound bow. Um when someone becomes physically unable to pull a compound bow back, that shouldn't mean that they no longer, you know, c- should be in the archery woods. Right. Um, you know, and, and so these crank style devices that we have, they actually allow folks who have shoulder problems, muscle problems, um, you know, anything that would prevent you from pulling the string on a, on a regular compound bow that's not going to keep you from getting out in the woods mm-hmm. if if you use buy one of our crossbows with that crank style device on it. Gotcha. Um, now, Wicked Ridge, like I say, is is kind of at the beginning of the price points, mm-hmm. and that Blackhawk 360, it shoots up to 360 feet per second. It's only 15 inches wide when it's cocked, which is still very very narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to come with a scope quiver and the cocking device and then we also give you three arrows with every crossbow package we sell Mm -hmm. there's going to be at least three arrows and some of the higher end packages you end up getting a six pack of arrows or even you know 12 arrows with six of them being lighted Hmm. um but the price on that blackhawk 360 is only 399.99 um and one of our uh one of the folks that i've worked with a long time in the industry. His name is Brad Fenson. Um, he was actually uh, in, uh, he's from Canada and he just uh, had his black bear hunt. He shot, uh, you know, like a 450 pound black bear with that black Hawk 360 just last week. Nice. So, and, and part of, you know, we wanted him to take the black Hawk 360. We had of course sent him the 10 point that was, you know, uh, about, $2,100 more expensive, <laughs> mm-hmm. but we wanted, we wanted him to, to have that challenge and to show folks that just because a crossbow is at that lower price point doesn't mean that it's, it's not going to be lethal and deadly and accurate, right. you know, at those times when you need it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Blackhawk 360 at that three ninety nine ninety nine price point, and the Wicked Ridge line is one I would definitely recommend for folks to look at. Now, when, as you go, we make six different crossbow models in that Wicked Ridge line, and basically you can go up a hundred or two hundred dollars, and then that takes you to the next pricing level for the next bow. Mm-hmm. And as you spend more money, um, 
typically you're going to shoot the the crossbow is going to shoot faster. Mm -hmm. The bow assembly is most likely going to be more narrow. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also the more you'll get more upgraded accessories. So in other words, your optic gets a little bit better Mm -hmm. um, and we'll start to offer those others with those different types of cocking mechanisms Mm as as uh, as purchase options gotcha. um another crossbow in the wicked ridge lineup i'd recommend is the uh the rdx 400 which mm-hmm. is a reverse draw style crossbow um it shoots up to 400 feet per second it's only nine inches wide axle to axle when it's cocked and um but just from a, a cost standpoint um, you're you're only looking at right around uh, eight to nine hundred dollars mm-hmm. to get into that crossbow, which is going to put you into that four hundred foot per second, um, uh, you know, one hundred and ten foot pounds of kinetic mm-hmm. energy kind of place. So, gotcha. I believe that was the other one that I handled uh, Cabela's a few weeks ago. Gotcha. The, the RDX, yeah. Yeah, the RDX 400. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in the 10-point lineup, uh, the Titan M1 is the is kind of the entry-level 10-point. It starts at right around 7.99, and it's going to be that extremely uh, narrow bow assembly technology, mm-hmm. and then also that uh, advanced, you know, skeletonizing of the stock. So basically what you're buying is a crossbow that shoots up to 370 feet per second. It's only going to be nine inches wide axle to axle when it's cocked. And overall, the bow weighs just over six pounds. Hmm. So basically you've got, um, you've got extreme narrowness and compactness, which makes it easy to carry. You've got, you know, you've got definitely well more than enough speed to get to those uh, kinetic energies in that 115 to 120 foot pounds range. Um, and that Titan M1 is going to come in somewhere around 799. And then we actually build, um, nine different crossbows, um, in the 10 point lineup. And basically just like with Wicked Ridge, you go up a hundred dollars or $200 and then you get to the next crossbow. Mm-hmm. And typically that next crossbow is going to be, going to shoot faster it's going to be overall a little bit lighter and the bow assembly is going to be a little bit narrower Um, and then also like i mentioned then that's when we start to get into the more advanced cocking devices like the crank style devices Mm -hmm. Um, uh, those are obviously uh you know we offer the crank style the crank style device can be mounted to any one of our crossbows that we build but in order to package them with the crossbows you know, you're looking at getting up into that $800, $900 price range. Mm. Um, now, last year we developed a different kind of a, uh, a trigger box design. Um, so up until last year, every one of our crossbows had a static trigger box. The trigger box was mounted in the, in the stock in a certain place, and it never moved. Mm. But... We, we looked at other uh, models out there that had movable trigger box systems, and we decided to adopt, you know, that as a new innovative design for our high-end crossbows. Hmm. And we call that system the AccuSlide uh, 
safe or AccuSlide silent cocking and safe decocking system. Mm-hmm. So the the barrel or the flight rail on the bow actually has a track in it. And the trigger box has small wheels at the bottom of it. And the trigger box is attached to a, a strap, very similar to a seatbelt strap. Mm-hmm. And you actually... Uh, press a lever and that releases the trigger box and it will run down the flight rail all the way to the string. Hmm. So instead of pulling the string back to the, to the string latch or the trigger box, we're allowing the trigger box to go forward on the barrel and grab onto the string. And then after it connects with the string, then there's a crank handle that goes in the stock and you just simply crank forward and then that cranks the string back and the trigger box simultaneously, and then the trigger box comes back to a, a place uh, at the back of the st- of the flight rail where it sort of locks into place. With uh, we have like a, a trigger lock latch, we call it, um, that allows that trigger box to come back to have the full load of the string on it, um, and then be supported in the same exact consistent position every time by that trigger lock latch. Um, and the most innovative part of that new cocking system is that there's no paw lever. Um, there are no buttons that you have to push, nothing like that in order to activate or use the device. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our oldest style crank cocking device is called the AccuDraw. Mm-hmm. It actually has a, a paw lever on it. And you have to disengage that paw lever in order to um, uh, to operate the the to pull the uh, the sled out to to stick it on the string. But then you have to engage that lever again in order to make it safe. Mm. Um, it works very similar to a boat winch. Gotcha. gotcha. So so once you engage that lever and you start cranking, then you'll actually hear um, a clicking noise. Well, mm-hmm. that's that's the you know, that's as the string is traveling up the flight rail, um, the inside parts of that AccuDraw are winding up and the clicking noise is what's basically uh, keeping, every time you hear a click, um, if you let go of the handle, as long as the paw lever is engaged, mm-hmm. the handle will not spin freely. Mm-hmm. But and, and so that's why using that type of device, it's necessary to have a paw lever. Like it's a, it's part of the safety features. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of our customers didn't like having to use the lever. They didn't like the clicking sound that it makes mm-hmm. when you're cocking it. So we developed this AccuSlide so that basically if you, whether you're cranking forward or cranking backward, there's no lever to push, nothing. It's like a double uh, disc brake system inside of the AccuSlide unit itself that stops the bowstring from you know, shooting back forward from its stationary position. So basically, at any point during cocking forward or cocking backward, you can let go of the crank handle. It will not spin out of control and, and injure you. Um, and, and this innovation on this type of cocking device has really been what's driven our high-end crossbow sales for last year and this year. Um, so many people are happy with how this device works that um, we, you know, in addition to that, along with the pandemic buying that occurred, Mm -hmm. um, 
for the last year and a half, we've been doing, we've basically been operating on a back order basis. Hmm. So in, in other words, um, uh, like a year ago at this time, it was about a four to six week turnaround time from when you bought a crossbow and then we were able to ship it out. Uh-huh. Um, we've, we've worked super hard this past spring, you know, bringing on more vendors, uh, more parts makers for us to, to be able to improve our supply chain to the point where we basically are now almost completely caught up and have bows of, of every kind that we make on the shelf. Um, we still have two or three models where um, by the end of this month, we'll, we'll be at that, at that place and be caught up. But, mm-hmm. um, but that AccuSlide cocking device has really been, you know, one of the uh, design factors that's really made a difference when it comes to, you know, people choosing our crossbows versus others. Um, and we have those, uh, <clears throat> we have that cocking device on our, our uh, five crossbows that are kind of, you could say they're the top of the line uh-huh. for, for, for 10 point. Um, and uh, they're called the Viper S400, the Vengeant S440, uh, the Havoc RS440, and the Vapor RS470. Um, on, on all of those models, uh, the, also the Siege RS410, mm. all of those models employ that movable trigger box system and, and have that, that new uh, cocking device. Now, the, but the exciting thing also about that cocking device is at the end of the day, you can use it, you can unload your arrow from the bow, and you can use it actually to let the string down. Hmm. And this is revolutionary because up to this point, the only way to unload a crossbow safely is basically to shoot it. Yeah. Um, and, and with this device, though, you don't have to waste any arrows, you know, unloading into the ground or into a, into a target. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the other reason why folks have, have really responded so well to this cocking mechanism is, you know, it, it allows them, they get done with their hunt, they come down from the tree, they've unloaded the bow, they can actually um, decock the string and put it in, in its, uh, you know, storage position and then walk back to camp. Um, you know, th- those, those couple of things there have really been what, what folks have been, um, you know, desiring. Mm-hmm. And, so, so the Viper S400 starts out right around uh, $1,500 to $1,600, and then it goes up to that Siege RS410, which is somewhere in that um, $1,700 to $1,800 price point. Um, now, of course, our flagship bow, um, the Creme de la Creme, you know, the Ferrari, mm-hmm. is, is, is the 10-point Vapor RS470. And it's it's a reverse draw style bow that um, basically shoots that max speed and max energy that I was talking to you about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, shoots speeds up to 470 feet per second, mm-hmm. and that translates into kinetic energy right around 191 foot pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you're basically going to get every one of the high end bells and whistles that we have for it. It's going to come with um, uh, we have a new uh, scope optic called the Evo X Marksman Elite Scope. Um, it actually has reticles and dots that allow, you know, would allow you to shoot out to 100 yards. Mm-hmm. But 
as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, that's not from a hunting standpoint. Right. You can shoot out to 100 yards for practice, mm -hmm. but, you know, it, it has 50 yards and closer yeah. for your hunting shots. Mm -hmm. um, it also has that, you know, uh, AccuSlide uh, silent cocking and safety cocking system on it. Um, it'll come with several more accessories than the other crossbows in the lineup. So in other words, you get a hard case with it. Um, you end up getting six regular arrows, which are match grade arrows. You get six lighted match grade arrows called the Evo X center punch arrows. You get a three pack of broadheads. Um, and then also uh, a 10 point branded sling uh, all as a package. Um, <clears throat> and if, if you have, uh, any of your custom uh, of your listeners out there who, um, uh, you know, really want to buy the high end, mm -hmm. um, that 10 point vapor RS 470 is the one that that they would want to definitely go to their shop and and get the chance to shoulder and shoot. Mm -hmm. um, it's super quiet and and very low vibration, low noise. Um, as a result of that reverse draw design and then maximum speed and efficiency. Um, and you're looking at a price point uh, in excess of, uh, you know, a little bit closer to around $4,000 mm. for that, for that vapor RS 470. Mm -hmm. um, but, but that's essentially because it truly has our most cutting edge pieces of technology um, employed in it and designed into it. Um, and, you know, we try to offer a crossbow, like I say, in the Wicked Ridge lineup, there's the one for $399. You know, there's a Wicked Ridge that you can buy for $549 and basically going up to these higher price points because we want to build a bow for everybody. Yeah. Um, a lot of people will talk about 10-point and they'll, you know, they might talk about the price and talk about how it's prohibitive to them to be able to purchase. Well, we, we use the same quality parts in the Wicked Ridge crossbows as we do in the 10 point crossbows. Hmm. There are a few, a few differences, but um, the cams in the Wicked Ridge bows are machined from billet aluminum, just like they are in the 10 point crossbows. Um, like I say, there's going to be a few subtle differences, but from an accuracy standpoint, from a durability standpoint, from from overall quality um, and warranty, there is no difference between the Wicked Ridge and the Ten Point. Um, we we try to you know if we're going to build a crossbow, we don't build one that's not accurate. Right. Um, you know that's not the objective here. Mm -hmm. The objective is to build them as accurately as possible so that we can make the hunters that, that choose our equipment over someone else's, we want to help make them more successful, yeah. you know, and we, and we definitely want them, um, whether you're buying a $500 crossbow or $3,500 crossbow, um, chances are it's an investment mm -hmm. for whoever that person is. And, um, you know, us being hunters and, and, and being in a small family business, we absolutely we want your business and we don't just want to sell you one bow. Although, you know, for folks who, to be honest with you, we still have some folks who are shooting the crossbows that we built in the late nineties. Mm -hmm. 
uh, it's pretty amazing. It was kind of neat when I worked in the service department when they would come in, but there's definitely crossbows that we have built that have the original limbs, all original parts on them. The only thing that's been changed out was the string and, is the string and cables. Um, so, you know, if you're looking for, if, if someone's looking for a crossbow that's built to be rugged quality and, and last for a long time, you know, the proof is in the pudding here. We, we definitely uh, work to build our crossbows so that, you know, like I say, this is an investment for someone. And if they want to shoot it for five years, then great. If they want to shoot it for 15 years, then great. Um, but, you know, I find a lot of people in the archery space anyway, <laughs> it's always about like, you know, trading in the old and mm-hmm, trying to get mm-hmm. the new. You know what I mean? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Got to get that new so, model every year, right? Right, mm-hmm. right. Awesome. So I hope that kind of gives you a, a kind of an overall sense of, of maybe our lineup, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I appreciate, you know, at the beginning of the of the podcast being able to talk a little bit about parts and materials and, and where we get those parts um, because all of that plays into the final product that someone's, you know, going to invest in if they decide to, to go with a Wicked Ridge or a 10-point. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, Brian, you did a fantastic job walking us through all that, and I really appreciate you coming on. Well, this has just been outstanding, John. I, I sure appreciate uh, the chance to be able to get to come on. And like I say, any day that I get to educate folks about crossbows is a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love, of course, talking about my own company's crossbows, but mm-hmm. even if someone d- doesn't decide, uh, you know, that they m- may want to go with our brands, mm-hmm. I do hope folks will, will give crossbows uh, a second look maybe mm-hmm. uh, because they can be an, a very effective weapon and also, uh, you know, can help to keep people in the woods who, you know, m- may not may not be there if, if mm-hmm. they weren't able to shoot a crossbow. So, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a big benefit. Uh, real quick before we let you go, you want to shout out your website, social media, and all that good stuff? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So if someone has, uh, you know, wants to know more about uh, the 10-point lineup and all of our specific crossbows or Wicked Ridge, uh, they should go to www.10pointcrossbows.com. And that's 10 points spelled out, T-E-N-P-O-I-N-T, and then that's crossbows, plural. And I highly recommend, uh, even if folks are not necessarily interested in buying one of our crossbows, I highly recommend that they go there because um, we have a, a blog section, which has a lot of really great informative articles on it. Um, we have a pretty extensive instructional videos section. We've got lots of hunts. Uh, different types of crossbow hunts on there. So there's not just information, you know, about our particular products, but there's a lot of good information for crossbow hunters in general. Um, we also have a uh, an area where they can go take a look at um, whatever the local laws are for their own state, um, and that's for the United States and Canada. So if someone has a question about is our crossbows, you know, legal in, in my area, you know, they can go uh, find that information out pretty quickly there. Um, and, of course, they can find us on Instagram um, at 10 Point Crossbows um, or on Facebook, uh, the same um, 10 Point Crossbows. 
Awesome. Thanks again, Brian. You've been fantastic, and I uh, hope some people get on there and check you guys out. Outstanding. Well, I sure appreciate the, the time today, John, and uh, definitely wish you good luck with the with the podcast, and definitely good luck this season, too. Awesome. Thank you very much. Same to you. We'll talk to you later, Brian. Sounds great, sir. Take care. And that is how we do it, folks. Man, huge shout-out to Brian for coming on. Like I said at the beginning, just super knowledgeable. You can tell that this is not his first day on the job. He's been around these things. He knows these things. He knows the history of them. He knows how they work, what they're made of. And uh, so, yeah, I just I, that's exactly what I was hoping I would get out of this. You know, a, a good, knowledgeable person taught me a whole lot. I'm sure he taught you guys a whole lot. So thank you, Brian. Thank you, 10-Point Crossbows. And thank you to all the listeners who just listened to this and learned along with me. So real quick before I get out of here, i got to shout out my social media. Check me out on Instagram and Facebook at the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. And that's going to do it for this week, guys. I'm going to keep my outro just as short as my intro because we had a nice long one for you. I hope you guys have a fantastic week, and I will see you guys right back here next week on the Oklahoma Outdoors Podcast. Podcast.